text for this morning's sermon is Proverbs 7. You want to turn there. Proverbs 7, 1 through 27. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight to your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that you help us as we look at Proverbs 7. Help us feel the value of such wise counsel from a good Father, Lord, I pray that You would protect all of us from temptation. Temptation to sin, whether it's sexual sin or any sin. God, I pray that we would be attentive so that we might live. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you like life? Do you value living? Most people value life. They want to live. They don't want their enemies to harm them in such a way that might steal their life from them. Well, this morning... We're given a piece of gold in this proverb to understand 
how to live. Here we have a father giving gold to a son and keeping him in, in an attempt to keep the son from destruction. Think of the president for a minute. What a responsibility to protect a nation, to protect a people from her enemies. Every day, the president gets the PBD, which is the president's daily briefing. It's a top secret document produced each morning for the president. Producing and presenting this brief is the responsibility of the Director of National Intelligence. His name is James Clapper. His office has the task of fusing all the intelligence agencies' uh, intelligence together into one document to give to the Commander-in-Chief so that he might be able to protect his people. This document became famous. We heard a lot about it a few years after 9-11. Condoleezza Rice argued that this shouldn't be a private document in certain circumstances like when the Twin Towers were hit. And so one of these documents was released that had the title something like Bin Laden wants to make a strike against the United States of America. And this was released at least partially to the public. This morning, we get to see a father to a son brief him about a grave enemy that is so dangerous and so sneaky. You might be thinking, well, I'm a girl. I'm, I'm not a son. How does this? Well, this is any temptation. How are you going to defeat any temptation, whether it's to alcohol, to the internet, to pornography? You plug in what you're tempted with. Our example is temptation from the adulterous woman in this text. You know, as a bow hunter, when I climb up into the tree, you have a lot of time to think. This is odd in our day and age where you kind of shut off your electronic devices. At least you should if you're bow hunting. That's the point. Get out in the woods, sit in a tree, and... Any good bow hunter takes, in a sense, the bow hunter's daily briefing. You know, what's the wind direction? What's the crop situation? Oh, okay, this farmer's taking out this corn. Where's the bedding areas? I wonder how they would, you know, deer like to walk into the wind. So how did, how is this gonna play? I wonder next time I sit, maybe I'll sit over there. You see, I'm the predator in this situation and I'm trying to figure out how to take the prey. I'm trying to think, how are they thinking? 
hunting whitetails is one of the biggest challenges because they seem to know so much about the predator. They know what you look like. They know how you smell. They seem to know what weapon you have. During bow hunting, they stand 70 yards out and they just look at you. With a rifle, they never do that. They'd be running away. They seem to know the seasons. As soon as the season's over, they're just walking around everywhere. It's amazing how it seems like they know their predator. Except, I got one thing on big bucks. And it's called the rut. There's the time when all of their seemingly wise senses go out the window. They know where my deer stand is. They smell where I walk in. But they don't care during the rut. And that's why I can kill them. I would never, rarely ever kill a big buck outside the rut. But then I've thought before, what, what would it be like? It seems like deer almost have their daily briefing on the predator. This is what we have in our text. The prey is the son. And the father is coming and helping him understand the predator, the, the tempter that wants to take your life. You know, what would it be like, I think, if they gathered together and could talk about, you know, okay, there's a stand. I smelt this trail over here. Here's how he does it. And then I could picture, obviously this doesn't happen, in old buck sand at the end. And if you could see his basement, there is five heads on the wall. Be careful. Don't go by his stand even if that doe is so beautiful. Don't go by his stand. There's five heads on the wall. Death comes from it. I think you'll be amazed at how much this text takes this sort of briefing on an enemy that has slain so many. The structure of this proverb is like this. Verses 1-5 through is instruction from the Father. Then verses 6-23, through the majority of this proverb, is an illustration, is an example. It's a word picture. It's a drama. And then the last three verses comes back to the Father's instruction after the dramas played out. Instruction. Verses 1-5, through the main instruction is keep My words. Latch on to My words. Love My words. The illustration is basically saying, look! Look at the predator. Look at her prey. Look at these words and the destruction that comes from it. 
And then His final instruction is mainly asking us to listen to His words. Words are so clearly powerful in this text. And so, here's what I'm asking you today. I'm asking you to marry wisdom. To marry wise counsel and to avoid the seducer's seduction. I think you'll see why that's my charge as we look at this text. So, Point one in your notes, latch, love, and live. Latch on to the Father's Word. Love His Word and live. Look at verse 1. My Son, keep My words and treasure up My commandments within you. Do you see latch and love there? Keep My words. Treasure up My commandments. You see, it would be different if you only kept the Father's words. But what if you actually treasured them like gold? You loved these words. First thing to realize is, if you're going to beat temptation, if you're going to be safe and you're going to live, the battle begins in the heart. Temptation begins in the heart. This is what James says in James 1.14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. They're within him. That Then desire, when it conceives, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So the first thing, if you're going to beat temptation, you don't just stay away from temptation. There's a heart love somewhere else. I'm asking you to marry wisdom and to avoid the seducer, her seduction, to love these words. And then, my son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. And then verse 2, keep my commandments and live. Here's how you survive. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. See, don't just keep it. This is what you're after. Is that how you hang on to instruction? When you get to Proverbs, are you just like, oh, if this is gold to me. Wisdom, free wisdom given to me on paper that isn't taken away. I can go to it. And if I look at it, I will live. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And then he says this, verse 4, Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. Well, what, what is this about? Well, it was very common to describe your bride 
the one you loved most as your sister. Listen to Song of Solomon uh, chapter 4, verses 9-12. through 12. Just listen to this language. You've captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You've captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice? Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. You see, to understand what he's saying in verse 4, say to wisdom, you're my sister. Call insight, your intimate friend. He's saying, marry wisdom. Marry this counsel I'm giving you, my son. Intimately love it and treasure it as though it is life to you. Why? Look at verse 5. To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Notice the prescription for protecting you from the forbidden woman is intimacy with another. And it's wisdom here. You know, putting filters on the internet is good. Taking steps to physically avoid temptation is good. I don't mean to say anything against those things. You ought to do anything you can, as we're going to see in a moment, to stay away from the adulterous door. But the main prescription is intimacy with another. And it's wisdom. Intimacy with God's words. In Proverbs chapter 5, you know, in Proverbs 2, in Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 6, they all talk about the adulterous woman. In Proverbs 5, we see the, the just social and economical loss of committing adultery. And then in 6, we get to see... Uh, in, in chapter 6, you see the cheated husband. He's arguing, her husband might come and kill you. Don't commit adultery. In this chapter, we get to see the tactics. But I just want to show you something from chapter 5. Proverbs 5.15. Here's what he says. Drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, 
Let her breasts fill you at all times with the light. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with the forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of the adulteress? It's interesting. Don't go to the adulteress. Go to your wife. Go to intimacy where intimacy is supposed to be. And so you have the real life example of obviously only be intimate with your spouse. But in chapter 7, that intimacy is with the Father's counsel. And so we get these first words of wisdom from the Father. Whose words will you listen to? That's a question we are all need to ask. Now the Father is going to impart wisdom to His Son by way of illustration. Now He's essentially going to put a drama on display. This word picture, it's interesting, demonstrates that God expects us to learn from observations and experiences. We're supposed to look around and see what happens when people commit adultery. And we're supposed to think about it. Here the Father paints a word picture. He's essentially asking the Son to look at this. Loathe this. Hate this. And live. Love My words and hate this other thing. So let's look at this picture. This picture I divided into three parts. Her prey, the predator, and her words. So let's look at her prey. It's a vivid picture. For at the window of my house, the father's looking out of his house, I've looked out through my lattice, and I've seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense passing along the streets near her corner taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. Here's the prey. And the first lesson that is so obvious in this picture that the father begins to paint, he's just telling his son, don't be stupid. This is essentially what he's saying. Don't be stupid. Look at verse 7. I've seen among the simple. That's a nice way to say, I've seen a stupid young boy. I've perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. So this word picture is obviously the word picture of what you don't do. How is he stupid? passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. You're, don't be stupid by not knowing where she lives, by walking towards danger. Stupid people walk right into danger. They go to the place that's going to kill them. 
It's not wise. When I was in Africa, I got to see hippos. We got in a wooden canoe that was leaking. It's very scary. There's like two inches between the water coming over on each side. I discovered that hippos kill more people than any other animal on the face of the earth. They're angry creatures. And we're going out in a canoe and I'm asking questions on the way out. I'm stupid. I'm getting information now through an interpreter. And so, what's the closest you've ever been? Oh, they've flipped our boat several times. you got to be kidding me, I'm thinking. Well, have these hippos ever hurt anyone? Oh yeah, these hippos just killed someone last week. And I'm looking back at Mark on the shore saying, I wonder if he's really my friend. He hired this hippo tour in Africa, a little side thing. He paid money for to send me out to see the hippos. They explained to me that if we stay to the edge of the river and don't get where the river's swirling, we're usually okay. Now, it wasn't very smart that I was on my way towards danger, but if we would have went right to the swirly area, we would be stupid. This is this young man. Danger's here, and he's walking rather away from it, right at it. And not only is he stupid because he's walking towards danger, but he doesn't know the times of temptation. Isn't this clear from this text? Taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night, and darkness? The Father saying, Son, know yourself. Don't be stupid. And walk towards danger, especially at twilight. In the dark. I mean, how many times does he have to try to draw this out? Twilight, in the evening, at the time of night, in the darkness, this young man lacking sense is walking right towards danger. Not very smart. This is the prey. And the reason why it's so unwise to walk towards danger and towards temptation is it's kind of like gravity. Gravitational pull. I'm no scientist. But what I do understand is this. The further you get away from an object, the less the gravitational pull to that object is. It's easier to defeat gravity the further you get away from earth. That's why you can jump higher. You can float around. But as you get closer to your object of temptation, your ability to pull away lessens. The grab becomes almost impossible if you get too close. And so this is the prey. Let's look at the predator. And behold, the woman meets him. 
dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart, know how temptation dresses, be smart. There's clues that you shouldn't be going towards her house. Listen to her talk. Look at the way she dresses. Understand temptation. Understand what she looks like. In Proverbs 6.25, you don't need to turn there, he says, do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Isn't that amazing? With her looks. Well, I'm just going to look. I'm not going to touch. Yeah, but she has eyelashes. And they bat. And they're like ropes that fling out and grab onto you and can suck you in. It's true. A stupid man or a stupid woman says something like, I can look, but I can't touch. And so know how she dresses. And then look at verse 11. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, at every corner she lies and waits. She's more than just at her house. She's in these other places. He's saying, son, I'm not just telling you not to walk towards her house. Be careful. She's everywhere. She's lurking. She's a predator. She's after you. And I, 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 I do want to say this. Satan is at work. The ultimate tempter is at work. A woman might not even realize she's on the prowl. And she's a predator. But she's being used as the tool for destruction for both their lives. Know what she sounds like. Know her voice. Know where she lives. Know where she goes. Know that she lies in wait. Isn't that interesting how he says that? At every corner, she lies in waits. And then, so suddenly... Her words and her actions. Look how they just pounce up in verse 13. She seizes him and kisses him. Whoa! Did you plan on it happening a little slower than that? All of a sudden, she's kissing him. She seizes him. She's lying at wait. And in a moment, temptation jumps. And you've already done what maybe you in your mind were just fantasizing about, but now has jumped into action. Her attack strikes much quicker and stronger than anyone would expect. And then she says this. Listen to her words. She kisses him. With a bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. Today, 
I've paid my vows. She said, I've, I've just been at church. I, I've made my sacrifices. And in Israel's culture, the day you make your sacrifices, you have to eat the meat that day. She's essentially saying, I'm a good person. I'm a religious person. But, come help me worship God. Come to my house. Look at what she says. I, I had to offer sacrifices. Today, I've paid my vows. You need to help me. Come eat the meat of the sacrifice. Here, here's how temptation... Temptation rarely comes as a devil with two horns on. You know, it just seems pretty good. The Holy Spirit might be telling you, this, something doesn't seem right here. Oh, but when you're falling to temptation, you can see a thousand things that are good about this situation. About the tempter. About the one who's prowling. So I've come out to meet you, she says. I paid my vows today. So I came for you to seek you eagerly. And I found you. Oh, the tempter is a flatterer. You're the one I was waiting for. I don't believe it. I think she would have taken anything of the sort coming her way. But you're the special one. Oh, your wife doesn't treat you that good? Oh, that's sad. I'll be praying for you. Or your husband? Oh, he's such a jerk. You are such a kind person. I just don't get it. I just don't get how your spouse can treat you that. I really got to pray for you. You know, you're, you deserve so much better. I would die to have someone like you. She flatters. It's part of her words latching on to a stupid man. And then she says in verse 16, I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from our colored linens from Egyptian linen. I perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take fill of our love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Oh, what a beautiful picture she paints. Isn't, isn't this an amazing picture? Oh, I got a new couch. I got silk on it and there's cinnamon and myrrh all night long. All night long. What a liar. What a liar. What a false picture of reality that's painted by her. Her charm makes the young man think that he's heading towards love when he's heading towards death. And then... Look at what she says in verse 19. For my husband is not home. That would kind of ruin the mood. Well, I got this couch and I got these linens. And I, by the way, my husband's sitting in the chair right over here. That kind of steals the thunder. But she keeps it going. She says, my husband's not home. He's gone on a long journey. 
He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. What's she doing? She's lying about the consequences of the actions. She's saying, you can get away with it. It's okay. No one's going to find out. There is no consequences for these actions. This is what the predator is like. And then, almost amazingly, verse 21 says, with much seductive speech. See, the highlight of this text, Proverbs 7, is speech, words. I'm asking you to marry words of wisdom and not the words of the tempter. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And then this makes me tremble. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. Here's what the Father is saying. Listen, your enemy is hidden. And just as an ox thinks it's another nice sunny day and he's going to get his head cut off, or as the stag is caught and someone comes up with a bow to shoot him right in the liver, or as a bird that's caught in a snare, this ought to make us tremble. God's Word tells us this is how it pounces on you. And Satan tells us, our flesh tells us, I got this taken care of. That's alright. I know I shouldn't be doing this. Other people should have these rules, but not me. I'm going to go out to eat with someone who's not my spouse. It's business. Everyone does it. Besides, I'm a good Christian. We ought to tremble because this text says all at once. And then we get these illustrations of surprising death that comes out of nowhere and steals your life. He doesn't know it'll cost him his life. In Proverbs 5.22, we get this idea of being caught or ensnared. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. He's held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline because of his great folly. He is led astray. Proverbs 2.16 says this, So you'll be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. She forgets her husband and she forgets God's words. For her house sinks down to death and her past to the departed. None who go to her home come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Can death really come that quick? Can destruction happen that fast? 
Can temptation jump on you when you least expect? God's Word says it can and it will. Notice how it says, he does our, all at once he follows her. He chooses it. Yes, she's tricking him, pulling him in, but he chooses it because he's not wise of heart. His fantasies, he now has an opportunity for. And he walks right into his death. So, we transition back now. Now the word picture is over that the Father has painted. Death has come upon this young man who was unwise. And now he asks his son to listen to him. This has to be a pleading sense as this father says this. And now, O sons, this is to you. This is to me. Oh, now, O oh sons, be attentive to the words of my mouth. He just got led astray from the words of her mouth. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. And then verse 25, let not your heart turn aside to her ways and do not stray unto her paths. You see, this is what this is calling us to. Listen to my words. Don't go. Listen to my ways. Don't listen to her ways and throw your life away. Let not your hearts turn aside. It happens in the heart. For many a victim, verse 26 says, she is laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. The father saying, if I could take you to her house, she has head upon head of her trophies hanging there on the wall. Do you want to be one of them? Is this really what you want? Her house is the way to Sheol going down to the chambers of death. Now listen, I wonder if you've ever fallen to temptation that leads to death. You have. You've sinned like this. Whether you committed the act of adultery, you've lusted in your heart. You've given in to other sorts of temptations. And all those sins lead to death. And all of you are dying. And I'm dying. And even though we have golden words, better than gold, we have the Father's wisdom. What about all that we've already done? Turn to Matthew chapter 4. I want you to look at the One who loved and looked and listened and lived perfectly. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, right after He was baptized, was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness 
to be tempted by the devil, the king of all tempters. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves. If you're the Son of God, prove it right now. Feed yourself. You're hungry. 40 days have gone by. You know what the tempter always does? He asks you to get your pleasure right now. One author says he tempts him with a masturbatory meal in the wilderness. Rather than drinking deep of love with your wife, you know, just do it right now. Just get instant pleasure with this meal. Rather than eat a meal with your Father in heaven after you fulfill this plan, right now make bread for yourself. And what does he do? He quotes scripture back to him. He knows God's Word. Someone listens to God's Word perfectly and knows it. Then, in verse 5, the devil took him to a city that was set on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are God's Son, throw yourself down, for it is written, He'll command His angels concerning you. On their hands they'll bear you up. Jesus again said to him, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This temptation is... You want popularity? People aren't totally believing you now. Throw yourself off. God will, God will pick you up. Get instant success now. Get people looking at you right now. And then you know the last temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and said to him, all these things I'll give you if you fall down and worship me. Now listen, Satan has this to give. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the one playing this world like a fiddle. Yes, under God's sovereignty, but he offers it to Jesus and says, right now, you can end all my evil schemes immediately. The world will get better right now. This is a real temptation. You might think, Oh, this is so dumb. Satan really ran out of temptations here. You know, oh, worship me. Oh, like I'm going to follow that one, Satan. The temptation's real because he's offering things can get better right now. And if Jesus would have received that temptation, if he would have worshiped Satan, the world may have looked better right now, but all of us would go to hell. But Jesus endures the tempter. He perfectly latched on to and loved God's Word. He loathed the tempter. He hated Satan. He listened to the Father. He knows Satan's end. So he was able to say, I can wait to eat. I can wait to get my glory on full display. I can wait to be ruler. It's all going to be mine. I'm trusting in God's words. I have control of my life and my body, Satan. And he did perfectly. And then Hebrews 4 tells us, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Listen, listen. He never sinned. 
We've never gone through our minute of our life without sinning. Have you ever loved the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? No. He never sinned. He's been tempted in every way. And by the way, He took temptation way further than we've ever taken it. You see, we fall at some point. We fall to it. Satan, Christ takes all the tempter's temptations. He walks through it. He exhausts it and says, victor on the other side. And so the hope for you and I is not that we've done this perfectly or that we will even perfectly do this in the future, even though we do have hope to defeat temptation in our life. Listen to what he says, Hebrews 4.16. After he says he's been tempted in every way, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Draw near to the One who shows us how to beat temptation and who's beat temptation on our behalf. Marry wisdom and avoid the seducer's seduction. And by the way, if wisdom doesn't look that valuable to you. Know what the Paul said to Colossae, the believers at Colossae. He says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Love Christ. Treasure Christ. He will keep you from the tempter. Father, thank You so much for Your amazing grace. Thank You for sending the one man who knew how to walk through temptation and defeat it. Thank You that He defeated it on our behalf in our place. That His perfect obedience, His perfect loving Your Word and avoiding the tempter is gifted to us in His life. Thank You for that grace. God, if there's people here who have been so entangled in pornography, adultery, materialism, alcoholism, Lord, I pray that they would see the way out. That they would look to wisdom. That they would look to Your love for us in Christ. You didn't just send us a bunch of wise words. You sent us Your wise Son. Thank You. Lord, I pray we would treasure and cling to Him as the only hope for our salvation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.